Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. In this episode, we'll look at Aftershocks, a fast-growing company that creates innovative headphones that are ideal for athletes who need to stay aware of their surroundings. So I'm speaking with the marketing director there, R.I.L. Smith, and Jeff Goldenberg, who's the chief strategy officer and co-founder at their digital agency, Abacus. So we're going to dig into the key growth drivers, and there are some really interesting insights here. So it's going to be the first time that I'm uh, looking at a physical product. So they're an innovative physical product, which comes with a whole different set of growth challenges. So we'll dig into those. We're also going to get the perspective of both an internal team lead and an agency. So how, how do they think about growth on those two levels? How do they integrate together? And then we'll talk about some of the challenges of a multi-channel approach to growth. So let's get started. Hey, Ariel and Jeff. Uh, welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. Great to be here. Yeah, super excited to have you guys on. This is a pretty different uh, growth story than I'm used to having a, a physical product here. So I'm excited to dig into it and hear how you guys are approaching growth. So why don't we start with you, Ariel? Uh, you it looks like you've been at Aftershocks for about three and a half years. And I read on LinkedIn that um, revenue growth during that time or, or since about 2015 has been around 2000%. So that's, that's crazy good growth. What initially attracted you to the opportunity? Well, to be candid, I had no idea how successful the brand would become. But I was initially attracted to it because it is within the tech industry. I started my education at a tech institute. So I've always been interested in that area. Um, and then the position in particular was a blend between graphic design and marketing. Um, and I had studied both in college and really enjoyed both. And um, even though it was a small company, I was really excited to try my hand at marketing and hit the ground running. So well, that's great. And I mean, it looks like you actually joined right out of college. So <laughs> that's a, a good job on spotting a rocket ship to become a part of because I've, I've always found that's the best Best opportunity for personal advancement is that uh, you have an opportunity to prove yourself and, and um, you know, not all people can do it. So congratulations on doing it and, and picking a, a, good, a good rocket ship to climb onto. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. And Jeff, um, when did you guys get involved as an agency and what attracted to you, guys, you guys to the opportunity? Yeah, Ryle and I were just talking about it. It's been, uh, I think, over two years now. I think at the end of 2018... We started with a pilot project, which was testing direct-to-consumer social, paid social advertising in Canada. And then based on some early success, we started working uh, more integrated um, in, in the beginning of uh, the year. So um, what attracted me was a very cool product that understood what it was and what it wasn't, understood its value proposition, and had so many different segments or personas or use cases or however you want to think about it, that it, it kind of aligned perfectly with how we were viewing sort of multidimensional creative that marries with the paid media. So we love when we can do DTC, direct to, to consumer, and uh, this is a perfect opportunity. And had you done hardware products before? We have. Um, I'm struggling to think of a specific case in our three and a half years, but we have. We, we have a lot of experience with direct-to-consumer or performance, even if it's not DTC. Uh, you know, insurance companies that are looking for lower price cost per leads or um, financial companies uh, that are looking to originate credit cards. So we've always been that type of marketer, but applying it to a product um, using creative and social was just awesome. And then how did you guys get connected? That's a good question. That is a good question. I know that we were I don't mean to spring it on you. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> well, we were looking to um, find a new agency, and I'm I'm honestly not sure. It must have been through your great Google ads, I guess, or or something something of that sort that we discovered Abacus. But I think it was all through online. Well, that's great. And it sounds like that just even the fact that you started with a test, um, it's, it's pretty low risk to just make sure they can deliver the goods and, and 
you've now been working together a couple of years. So clearly that initial pilot worked out well. Absolutely. And That's this is a perfect example of um, the perfect partnership really does depend on both sides. We've had plenty of products that like haven't been good products come to us and we haven't been able to turn, you know, water into wine. That doesn't necessarily mean we're a bad agency. And, and the other, the other times has happened, like we failed to get traction and that doesn't mean it's a bad product. But in this case, it was such a nice fit between, uh, I guess like true partnership. Yep. Whether you're, you're joining a company full time or coming on as a consultant or as an agency, you're, you're really only as good as the product potentially. <laughs> and, totally, um, totally. And that at really every engagement you're going to do is is either going to help uh, build your reputation or it's going to hurt your reputation. So exactly. picking picking the right product is really important. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So so speaking of product, Ariel, can you give us a quick introduction to what Aftershocks is all about? Yeah. So Aftershocks is a super unique headphone. Um, we're a tech company, mainly in the fitness space. So the way that our headphones are different is they actually sit over your ear and rest on your cheekbones and they use patented bone conduction technology to transmit the sound. So you're actually not putting anything in your ear or on top of your ear. And this has been really great for the fitness community specifically because you're able to receive audio and still remain aware of your surroundings. So it's extremely safe for runners, cyclists, outdoor enthusiasts. Um, and it's a lot more comfortable as well. Yeah. And I also noticed, so, so as I was doing research for the podcast, I actually started thinking, maybe I'll check out some of these, especially when I saw the price, it didn't seem too bad. And I, uh, so I went and picked up a pair and I think in addition to what you mentioned as the benefits for, for, uh, in, as an athlete, then, um, it, it's also just the fact that like, if you compare it to like earbuds, um, that, that they fall out of your ears sometimes when you're, when you're running or, you know, like I like to go and kick a soccer ball around and, um, it, or even like on my, my sailboat, like I'll be cruising around and I'm, I'm always worried that they're going <laughs> to fall out of my ears and then into the water. So I, I think that's another advantage for athletes. Absolutely. They'll stay in place. We have yogis that will wear them. We have, um, people who are gymnasts who will wear them. So, um, it's, it's been a really cool product to work with. And then I assume it's pretty straightforward in terms of how you guys make money. It's just uh, you're just you're selling the the earphones and in uh, making a margin on each each one. Yep. So obviously we sell direct to consumer, so dot com and Amazon. Um, we're also in big box stores and um, our incredible retail partners, big and small. They're amazing as well. We have um, a ton of independent specialty stores that we work with. Excellent. Well, so as I mentioned, Aftershocks is the first physical product that I've had on the podcast. So I'm assuming that your growth engine is is pretty different from the other kind of purely digital products that have been on here. Um, what do you guys, um, both Jeff and Ariel, uh, believe that, that are the most important factors in, in the breakout growth that you've had to date? Um, we've found huge success in taking a grassroots approach, um, especially in the initial stages as we try to um, increase brand awareness. Um, our growth engine is really all about touching people, getting headphones on heads, because just explaining the product, it's difficult to understand, or even through an advertisement at first, not everyone gets the full picture. So so moving product to people has been by far the, um, the biggest area of growth, I think. Yeah. Jeff, would you add anything else to that? Yeah. I mean, not to belabor the point, but it's an awesome product with a clear value proposition that's easy to communicate. So it's a marketer's dream. Um, I'm obviously going to talk about uh, creative because that that's what we do. And, and with this, we had a lot of creative to make because it needed to work in a lot of places. But I think what makes us a little bit different is when we attack creative, we start mobile first and then adapt it for other uses where a lot of people are still using broadcast first and then adapting it to other uses, including social and mobile. So um, we needed to create a lot of content. We needed, we were thinking we need months and months of content. And we figure if we shoot, if we do a shoot with the idea of months and months of content in mind, and then we create a design system, which is basically how we're going to use that content and what it's going to look like at various funnel stages and for various use cases or segments, 
then we could basically map out uh, a user flow and and see all the places we're going to need creative for. Um, and that way, you know, we could have a long form that involves all the sports. But once we know you're a cyclist, why don't we just give you a whole bunch of cycling instead of CrossFit and yoga and cycling? So from that standpoint, the the idea of like trying to have as close to a one-to-one conversation, this is such a perfect um, example of. Mm-hmm. And did you guys do much with video? Absolutely. It's all video. Yeah. Video, video has okay. been yeah. such yeah, a wasn't... game changer for us because you're able to see how the products fit um, because it's such a unique fit and also the benefits um, because it's it's difficult to communicate safety and situational awareness and a tagline or in a photo. So that has been a huge game changer. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and fitness itself is so much all about movement that that's pretty hard to capture in an image, but pretty easy to capture. in Right. In and you can show the cyclist, you know, waiting at a stoplight, looking at traffic before, you know, approaching the road and those moments like that one that um, really communicate the value of our product. I mentioned this is the first physical product I've had on the podcast. The other part is it's the first time that I've had both a, uh, you know, a, a agency and their client on the podcast together. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting in terms of how you guys integrate together to, to approach growth. So I wanted to dig in a little bit into that. Um, so why don't we start with you, Jeff, and maybe you can, you can help me understand or help the listeners understand how, how your agency fits into the overall growth approach at Aftershocks and, you know, how often you guys collaborate and how you collaborate. Sure. And and completely, frankly, I learned growth hacking from you. So I feel like I'm just going to be giving back your learning right back to you. But like, here we go. Well, I haven't done it as an agency, so I'm sure I'm going (laughs) to learn a lot back to you as back from you as well. Well, thank you for all the, all the great uh, writing over the years. Um, So how do we collaborate? Um, The first thing we do is we unite around like a a metric North star that's going to clearly ensure that we both understand what success looks like. And that comes down to measuring as as far down in the funnel as you can, agreeing on attribution models. So that's not an issue down the road and, and you can come up with the best attribution model possible. And, and, and that's one of the unsung benefits of growth marketing is it's easier to integrate when you're integrating around real metrics and real things that you know make a difference. When you're up at the top of the funnel and it's very, very foggy, it's really hard to integrate teams around that because people might not even believe in the success or what their North Star is, or worse, they don't even have a North Star. So when we yeah. think about and there's so much gaming that happens around just, you know, replacing cookies and other, especially like in the affiliate world, that um, when you, when you're actually getting down to the results, it, it makes a lot more sense that it's easier to align around that. Totally. Um, if we, if we have a great ROAS return on ad spend, then um, we're probably doing good things. And as we grow that, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the background, but it's, it just mean it, it's just a perfect sign of the overall health of the campaigns. So it really starts, as you said, about getting aligned up front in in terms of results, in terms of um, how you drive those results, and then what does the ongoing collaboration look like? Coming up with a strategy and a media plan. So one of the things that's really weird is that um, agencies that aren't like focused on on this type of stuff they've separated creative and media, and like we literally don't understand how how that works. How how these two things, which are clearly different sides of the same coin, can be separated. So what we do is we come up with a strategy and a user flow, and then media can go off and create their user journeys and their their uh, media maps. And creative can go understanding what the strategy is, what's the concept, and what are all the buckets of content that they're going to have to fill. In this specific example, the most recent campaigns we did with Aftershocks, the campaign was... Um, Experience life was sound on. And that was actually a contextual double entendre between the fact that the um, headphones allow you to have sound on and that social ads don't start with sound on. And the idea was if people saw experience life was sound on, they clicked the sound on. And then based on the, the, um, the creative we came up for the, for the video, it, it was all like um, syncopated noises that all the athletes were making. So they kind of got like delighted if they invited the sound on. And that's something that I talk about all the time. Like the hardest thing to get right is context, but it's also the hardest thing to explain. Um, But I think this campaign really understood the context 
and the conditions under which the people were going to be consuming the media. Yeah, oh, I love that. I mean, it, 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 I think from my short experience with the with with the product, it, uh, it it is that blending of you know a lot of times if you put on noise canceling headphones, you're you're completely escaping from from life, and it's that integration of being able to actually un- understand and and absorb your surroundings while at the same time get the entertainment of some music or whatever it is that you're listening to. Kind of like augmented reality versus virtual reality. Right, exactly. Um, so, Ariel, what uh, when when you look at your role as the marketing director, um, how does that fit in, and what so what's the scope of your responsibility? As Jeff was talking about, what's so great about Abacus is that we're able to do all of the creatives with them, and then translate those into ads. Um, so, normally, I would you know work with our design team to find a videographer and. Um, you know, have that whole process completed and then bring it over to an ad agency. So the fact that we were able to do it all in one, um, that has been a huge benefit for sure, because they're able to spot things that a videographer or photographer may not be experienced to spot. But in terms of my role, so um, I oversee the day-to-day marketing initiatives and then I work closely with our CMO and our VP of marketing on long-term strategy as well. Um, I'm fairly new at this particular position. Most of my experience at Aftershocks has been in social media and influencer marketing as well as content creation. So I'm still very much learning, but um, thankfully I've worked at Aftershocks for um, from the time we were, I think we had like 10 employees in North America um, to now with, I think we're at between 40 and 50. Um, so that has so I've played a role in many areas of marketing as well as outside of marketing. So um, it's not all new. <laughs> so I'm sure the organization's changed a lot in the, with that kind of growth. What, um, how, how has the organization around growth and marketing evolved during that? Time? It has completely transformed. I mean, I remember being so surprised when I would find out that someone had heard about aftershocks, and now I feel like everywhere I go, from the airport to the gym to a restaurant, I'm seeing the products everywhere, which has been, I think, the biggest transformation for me. Um, so that's been really cool. Um, we've also moved the company. We were headquartered in Syracuse, New York, since the start in 2015. But um, we recently relocated to Austin, Texas. It's just been such a great fit because it is a fitness-focused community. and um, Right. And a, and a pretty good tech hub as well. Yes, exactly. So that has also been a major change and one that I've quite enjoyed. Yeah, I can imagine, especially in the middle of winter. Uh, Austin's <laughs> probably uh, quite a bit more comfortable. And the barbecue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the food has been a great plus. <laughs> Uh, I'm I, that you're making me want barbecue right now. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. So you know, again, physical goods are going to be so different than a lot of other products. So I'm, I got to assume that there's certain people that are out de- developing channels and and o- other roles within the business. So what what does that the rest of kind of the, the organization look like that that touches growth or affects growth? Uh, well, marketing and sales works. Um, they work very closely together. As I mentioned before. We are obviously on, we have our website and Amazon channels, which are super important, but um, retail presence is also extremely, extremely important because um, people really need to experience the product. Um, So making sure that we have a place where people can stop in nearby and try on the products with a point of purchase display um, has been super beneficial as well. Um, We also attend a ton of events throughout the year, um, which goes back to the grassroots um, efforts that I was talking about earlier. But um, that has been a really cool experience because we're able to interact with consumers um, face-to-face and really get their feedback on the product and then bring it back to our product development team. Obviously, um, this is more of a startup approach or a grassroots approach, but um, that has been a really cool experience and way um, to kind of expand um, the brand as well. You know, one of the things that Jeff, you were talking about was that just even kicking off in the beginning and and having clarity around what are the metrics that we're trying to drive and what does success actually look like? How much of that 
collaboration and alignment are you doing with with other groups in the company? And did did, did other groups in the company uh, at, attend that session, for example, with the agency? So one of the things that we do is we focus on the customer experience first. So we work really closely with our ha- customer happiness team. To kind of tie back a little bit to what you're what you've already said is how important experience is to your marketing efforts. And then that experience doesn't just start in the customer acquisition, it goes all the way through. So collaborating with your customer customer happiness team must be really important to that. Right. And understanding the customer journey as well um, and how we can improve each area of the customer's journey that has been um, really beneficial for us as well. Um, and, you know, once someone goes and makes a purchase, their experience with our brand isn't over. And we understand that. So that idea kind of goes across all departments of the company. So we know that the more that we engage with customers, the more that they'll engage back. Um, They'll ask more questions. If they know, they'll get an answer quickly. Um, And we've also made changes to our product based on customer feedback. Um, So it will go all the way to the development stage, which is really cool to see. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I mean, one of the things that I found even in that that I really liked with the product was just even even the like uh, I'm not sure what if you call it a silicon bag or a rubber bag or whatever that that comes with the earphones is super high quality and neat. And you just it, it's a nice surprise when you open the packaging and you don't expect to find that in there. Yes, definitely. Um, and that's. And that's another um, example of that is that we found that so many customers lose their charger, um, which I mean, I lose my chargers all the time. So our Mm newest models, we've actually um, added a second charger in there for customers. So just little changes like that um, to really improve the customer experience from start to finish. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that's fantastic. And anything, Jeff, that you've seen that that they're doing to to drive collaboration that uh, surprised you? Well, they have a they have a particular challenge being both so international and so multi-channel. Um, but because they're a tech company, they're smart enough to understand that this direct-to-consumer is probably not going away, and as a result, are willing to commit to it. What I see most of the time is older companies that can't do what they need to do at fear of alienating the people who got them to where they are, and um, it's debilitating. So. What's amazing about Aftershocks is the team's really um, courageous and smart and understand that the closer they can be to the customer, the better the product's going to be, the better the ads are going to be, the better everything's going to be. Um, and it, it's a rare skill that sounds basic, but um, believe me, it's, it's not something we come across often. Our accounts team and our creative team and our performance team were all raving about these guys' Aftershocks for like months and months at the beginning. And... I was finally like, okay, tell me what they're doing. That's so amazing. And that was that was the beginning. So it's it's just been awesome from the start. And they're a rare company in that um you know they trust us and they understand our process and um as a result we're able to deliver pretty good stuff. That because what often happens is stuff gets either diluted because it needs to work on a whole bunch of different channels and they're not taking a channel by channel approach, or it gets diluted because too many people weigh in on it and they treat the feedback as additive, which always dilutes the message. And that hasn't been the case at all here. We've been able to create really authentic content that that clearly works. On the marketing side, or do you mean overall? Well, this is actually a question I brought up to our CMO. And um, we, to be candid, we had never heard of, or at least I hadn't heard of a North Star metric. So that is something that we need to um, nail down. But in terms of um, ad revenue and growth. I'm sure that Jeff has um, some experience in that to talk to. Totally. Because Sean told me that if you want to grow, you should spend one third of your net LTV on, on your <laughs> acquisition cost. And I'm like, I'm like a huge rule of thumb person. And that just stuck with me forever. So I know what 
good looks like and I know where things need to go and I don't have to question it because I trust Sean. So like with that in mind, it's it's that family of numbers that's the most important because it's going to determine how much you make, how much capital you have to put back into ads, everything. Right. So just having those guide rails of of what are the allowable acquisition costs that you're that, you know, and then you run as hard as you can within those as opposed to, uh, you know, grow at any cost kind of thing. So I, I think for a lot of companies, for what it's worth, you know, obviously revenue is what most companies are gauging success on long term. And ideally, revenue is going to correlate pretty closely with with impact that you're making on customers. And so that impact is probably more more a function of the number of units that you're you're selling in any given period of time and so that you know as you've talked about uh, experience experiencing these headphones is a big part of uh, how someone falls in love with them and gets the benefit of uh, of of being able to be uh, aware of their surroundings while they're while they're uh, having fitness activities and so um, you know having a single north star metric can be pretty powerful and I'm not not surprised that you're you're not using one uh, up to this point because, again, I think um, physical goods sit outside of some of what you see in in SaaS and a lot of online products. But I think it's a pretty powerful concept because um, it, that ultimately revenue is a super important metric in a business, or profits even more important. Um, but at the end of the day, people tend to be more motivated by by mission and customer impact. And that if you're driving a lot of uh, customer impact and customer value, that the sustainability of revenue and profit growth over time is going to be a lot better. So um, not surprising that you haven't kind of narrowed down on a North Star metric yet. And in fact, I just published a, a growth study on a company called Resi where the CEO attended a workshop. And that was one of the big takeaways that that they had and is that... Um, they they said, "Gosh, we need to come up with a north star metric that that can really help align our team." And um, so, I, I, I'm that's that's a that's a common situation. And um, but I, I did have one question that sort of relates to that, and it's it's around uh, the mission of the business. Uh, Ariel, you've been there since since the very early days. Was it did, did it initially start with with more of um, this is some neat technology and let's find let's find the use case that it works best in or was it um, was it more focused on okay we've there's there's athletes that want to have a comfortable you know, earphones that um, allow them to take in their surroundings and let's build the right thing or so how, how did you guys kind of come to where you are today and and was the has the mission evolved over time or has it been pretty clear right from the beginning? Definitely. So um, I think we've had a pretty clear mission when it has come to product. And that's something that our CTO talks about quite a bit. Um, So if we were to talk about a North Star metric that's overarching, it may be um, just our product development. We'll only design and develop concepts that truly bring value to people's lives. Um, So I would like to say that. But the technology itself, bone conduction technology, has been around for, I mean, for forever, basically. Um, But um, the owners of the company saw a need for it in the consumer channel and just realized that it hadn't successfully been brought to um, a consumer good yet. They've applied it in against that need, as you as you uh, touched on there. So let's let's step back and just you know it really kind of this last section kind of dig into what that growth engine looks like because again I think that's where it's probably the most different from a lot of uh, purely digital products and I think we've got some pretty good indications already of what this looks like but maybe maybe kind of fill in the the gaps a bit from uh, looking at the the whole picture from how someone initially discovers aftershocks to when they become a raving fan who's recommending it to other people, what would that journey typically look like? Either one of you can take that question. Um, I could talk about it from a marketing, from a, a marketing acquisition standpoint. So what we do and how we think about the, the creative needed to drive performance is that if you had a matrix, which listed your personas along the top and whatever funnel stage your funnel system you're using, on the left, on the, the rows, you basically need a different campaign for every single cell of that matrix. You need Persona 3 needs different content at the top of the funnel than um, Persona 6 needs 
you're only supposed to use five. Persona five <laughs> um, needs at the bottom of the funnel. So that's a really interesting way of collecting your thoughts and putting yourself in the um, in the advertiser's shoes to figure out, like, if I'd never heard of this brand, what's going to get me to stop? On top of that, we have all the science behind how people consume content on social and on mobile. So what's changing and making everyone uncomfortable is that every second of, a, of a, uh, an advertisement now needs to do different things than it needed to do in the past. Moving from a 30-second narrative to an 8-second narrative moving from the message up front because most people are skimming versus the message at the end, like a big surprise. And what this is causing is huge disruption in, in, in the industry where the TV guys are still pumping out big, massive pieces and, and the performance teams are like, dude, this isn't what I need. I need like such a different idea of what, of what we're going to need. So when you think about the matrix, like we kind of create a little bit of, um, an acquisition path or a user journey that we're hoping people can go through because when you think about it, we have so much power to nurture and retarget people long before they even clicked the website where like 10 years ago, we were thinking about retargeting people post click to the website. So the mechanics of retargeting two second video views as opposed to $2 page views or, or landing page views is such a massive like accelerant. So, that's what we do. We set up our own um, funnels by use, use case. And if we can garner any information from the people as they go through it to figure out more what they do, like if we figure out that they're really into the biking stuff, then we can adjust it on the fly and make sure that they get retargeted um, with, with biking stuff. When a lot of people do performance, they just shove the same ad over and over and over and over again. And then if you don't buy, they retarget you with like basically the same ad. And when you think about the psychology behind it, um, each one of those campaigns needs to do a completely different thing. One needs to get you to stop scrolling and get your attention. The other needs to tell you really quickly whether there's something in it for you. A series of educational posts or ads to like, you know, we had three key messaging pillars we were working with on Aftershocks. And then more direct ads that, that start to talk about free shipping and uh, discounts or deals or product variations. Then if we get them to the website, we want to retarget them with different messages too, because we struck out on the first message if we're still retargeting them. So we need to hit them with newer messages that understand. So it, it's so easy to just say it's strategy, it's not tactic, but it really is. Like if you understand how to create these systems and you segment properly, and then all you do is create content for those segments instead of giving everyone the same one or two pieces, you're like 80% of the way there. Mm-hmm. Is it so? Is it typically um, a, a pretty impulsive sale? It's, I mean, it's not really that expensive. So, is it something that um, people can can typically, you know, they see it once they get it, they can they make a decision and buy it pretty quickly, kind of like I did, where I didn't even want to wait for an Amazon delivery. I I went and picked it up at at uh, the, just one of the stores here after after I ordered it. So um, is that, is that pretty typical or somebody sort of see it and they think about it for, for a few days or weeks and then, and then end up buying it? It can be, it can be impulsive. Um, and sometimes it's not impulsive, but um, I think what really makes a difference um, and if a customer is, you know, just a fan or a raving fan is that now I can moment. Um, so our headphones with our headphones, they have now I can run with music. I couldn't mm -hmm. before because of the mm -hmm. safety risk or now I can hear my favorite song um, because maybe they had hearing loss um, and with our technology, they can now hear music or oh, wow. yeah, which is another, it doesn't work for everyone, but right, right. the hearing loss, but it is a solution for some people, which has been really cool. Um, or now I, now I can wear headphones and I couldn't before because um, of, the size of my ears or the shape of my ears. And that has been um, a really cool experience to see consumers go through that and um, find a product that is really a solution for them. It, just a, a quick side note question. You know, I, I know like a lot of uh, the kids will listen to their earphones really loud and probably create ear damage. Is it safer for, when someone uses this type of technology? You're still hearing, um, so you're hearing with a different part of your ear. It's actually not uh -huh. going to your eardrum. It's going to your cochlea. Um, so you're still hearing with it, and um, 
so your hearing should still be affected by it. Um, we so you but you could you could create damage if you still turned it up too high with this type of technology. Yeah, we haven't done um, the research to back up that it is better for your hearing, so we can't make okay. that claim. Um, but the way that I understand it is if the volume exceeded a certain point, then it could um, create damage, but it's all about um, the volume where you're listening. Yeah. Okay. So that's probably probably kind of the same. Or over time it, as well, um, which, sure. which is the same for all hearing loss. Right. So, so one of the, I mean, I, I really like on the activation, how you're talking about the, the now I can't can moment. Um, one of the things that I found in particular was um, you know, I went and, and picked up the, the earphones at Best Buy and went to a, a field with a soccer ball and which is something I like to listen to music and kick a soccer ball around anyway. And with the uh, ear pods, a lot of times it'll be falling out and it's kind of a kind of pain in the, the butt as I'm doing that. But um, what I found when I first started using it was it, I, I thought I must be putting them on wrong. I thought, you know, it was, it was one of those things that like, Oh, this, I, I think I'm doing something wrong. And it wasn't until I, looked at the picture and went to the mirror and okay, no, this is right. This is how it's supposed to be. But how, how do you get, is that, is that typical for people or how do you get them past that? And once I realized that I was wearing them right, then I liked it a lot better. And, and, you know, for all the benefits that we've talked about, but is that, is, is there the kind of a learning curve there for most people? Absolutely. I think with any new technology, there's a learning curve for sure. Um, and because our headphones are so different in the design and the technology, um, we get that question all the time. Am I wearing these right? Are these fitting correctly? Are these too big? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that Yeah, I thought maybe like I had a giant yeah. head or something and so it didn't work for me. <laughs> no, you're not alone. We've had um, we've had people put them upside down or um, but as we were yeah. talking about earlier, it's all about the marketing behind it. So making sure that we have some really strong creative to um to show that whether it's you know if you're seeing it through an advertisement and um, or if you're trying them on at a store, making sure that we have a point of purchase display that has the photo or the video um, displayed, so consumers mm-hmm. can experience that and also have a strong yeah. I mean, yeah. For, for what it's worth, like at, at Best Buy for me, there you know it was just a, a box on the shelf among you know hundreds it seemed like of other different types of headphones um so just even standing out in that that clutter probably would be pretty tough but then um but then yeah when I, mean, I it, like there obviously is a picture on the box but i'm just curious if if you guys have done any sort of uh testing or i mean it's i know it's hard when it's packaging you can't like rapidly iterate like in digital but um in terms of that unboxing where where it's something like you know have, having an insert that says Earphones not fitting right? Question mark. And then being able to 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 you know address some of those, or if there's other kind of like unboxing or or onboarding things that you've you've tried, and if if you are doing some of those things, um, what team would be responsible for that? Is that part of marketing? Is that considered part of product? Is it considered part of that customer success group? I love that idea. First of all, of having a card inside. Um, we, I guess what we've done that is most similar to that situation is we have an email flow for obviously people who purchase on our website. Um, so, you know, you get your shipping confirmation, et cetera, et cetera. And then once you receive your products, um, we'll walk you through, here's everything you need to know. How Here's how to pair your headphones. Um, here's how the headphones fit. Um you know, need to exchange your headphones, here are the policies on that, etc. Um, so I think that has been really helpful. And um, to answer your question about whose responsibility that would be, oftentimes, oftentimes it is collaborative. Um, so we'll be sitting in a room with um, our customer happiness director and um, someone from sales and someone from marketing and um, maybe even someone from logistics or the warehouse, um, and we'll talk through that process. Um, we've sat down before and we've gone through the customer journey map, or um, we've talked through like customer feedback that we've received about the unboxing experience or about a certain campaign or a sale. And having um, different groups of people have really helped those conversations. Um, Cool. And then the last kind of question in, in terms of the growth engine, uh, obviously I could ask a lot of questions in that area, but want to, want to try to stay within the time limit that we've, we've set for ourselves. But, um, 
how important is is word of mouth and referral to to the business? It's extremely important. Um, word of mouth is our largest channel um, in terms of how customers have heard about us. It's actually at thirty one percent. Big Box and Amazon are close contenders, um, but knowing this, our team largely focuses on this um, in ways that we can improve it. Um, so like I was talking about earlier, customer happiness has really taught us to have a customer first approach. Um, we respond to everyone. So whether it's a customer happiness inquiry or someone just engaging with us on social media or it's a review on our website or Amazon, um, we know that our customers really value when we listen to them, when we talk with them, when we develop a relationship with them. And we're also making changes in our product to show that we're listening. Um, so we're, we're doing things to build trust. And um, in turn, I think, you know, we have some of the happiest customers and biggest fans out there, which has been really cool. Um, we also even we even went as far as creating an ambassador program to kind of reward um, those raving fans, as as you mentioned earlier. So that that has been really cool too. Well, I mean, and you you talked about that uh, experience is a big part of how someone is going to even. Uh, kind of get at what these are about. And, um, so that's, that's the benefit on the referral side is it, you know, and, and even, even more of the benefit is that when someone sees someone wearing it, then they say, what the heck are those? It's a good prompt to be able to have that conversation. And then unlike other earphones, I, I, I know for myself, I'm a lot more comfortable letting someone try these ones on rather than something that's jammed inside their ear. And, um, you know, it just doesn't feel as sanitary for, for other ones. So I know I, I mentioned that I, had my wife uh, try them on and she quickly said, oh, you know, I've had some ear problems, so these would be really good for me. And, you know, um, light bulb, okay, add that to the Christmas list. So, um, but I think, I think that, yeah, it seems like these are really prime for, for referral. And um, Jeff, it sounded like you had a comment there as well. I just think those moments, those micro moments and, and those discovery moments are really like the ultimate hack for Facebook. Um, Everyone talks about like one and a half seconds to get someone to stop scrolling. Um, and it seems like a ridiculous short amount of time and old school creative directors go crazy. But I was reading recently that like the mind can interpret an image in point in 13 milliseconds. So like using that example that Arial used earlier, there's a guy jogging and he like pulls up abruptly at a stop sign and a car blows by him and he doesn't get killed which is a pretty good moment. That's one of those moments of discovery where it's like, I get it. Yep. I get it. And what people don't understand because humans aren't great with like big or small numbers is like, if you can create those images, people get it right away in a way that like millions of dollars of ads won't create. If you don't combine that with the fact that people on social want to discover stuff, i.e. headphones that you don't need to jam in your ear holes versus be shove stuff, i.e. Here's a pair of Beats by Dre for the 18,000th time. I think that's a really, really, really interesting and understudied sort of area. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. And I just think even because they look cool and different, that it's just, it's just such a good sort of prompt to have a conversation about them. Totally. Yeah. So why don't, but before we wrap up, a question that I like to end my podcast interviews with is just asking um, each of you, Something that you feel like you understand about growth now that you may not have understood even just a couple of years ago. So, Jeff, why don't we start with you on that one? Sure. Uh, I could talk for a really long time on this, and I, I can't. <laughs> so it's a matter of picking something. Um, Got to pick one. Yeah. Okay, let, let's let's do two. Um, the, okay. the first thing is patience. Um, patience is the antithesis to what people think growth marketing is, but it's the missing ingredient. People bail too quickly. People don't understand statistical significance. People um, are just in a rush to get from zero to 60 when typically it doesn't really go like that. It goes like you're a kid and you're twisting the puzzle piece to see if you can get it to fit into the puzzle. And finally it fits and you can move on to the next one. From my experience, it's more of an up and down than a, than a silver bullet. And I feel like a lot of growth marketers don't have patience. And what we're going to see in the next 10 years is you're going to see tech companies brand advertising. Think Shopify, think Uber. They're going to do global brand advertising, which is the antithesis of what they've done to date to get where they are. But it's the only way that they can sort of get past that next ultimate hurdle. 
So I think the idea of pay, I think patience should be the fifth P of marketing because I think too many people don't have it. They either look too short term for results or they don't understand how to think about what the world might look like in two or three years and then reverse engineer their way back from that, which obviously takes patience. So yeah, I'm always hearing when, when people say this didn't work when I tried it, um, it always hits oh, me. Yeah. Like, no, I, I've seen everything. Did you try 50,000 things there or did you try one and give up? <laughs> yeah, or, or a thousand bucks on Facebook and it didn't work or, and, and the platform right. sucks. Or I've seen one person shut their, um, shut their campaigns down as soon as it like hits the first time the CPA that they're looking for. So like it could hit it in the first five dollars and they'll like shut it down. <laughs> and they don't understand like every time you shut down a campaign, you're basically starting from scratch. So even if you were right, you're wrong. So yeah, I'm gonna go with patience. I think it's the missing thing right now. Perfect. No, I like that. Do you wanna hit your second one or do we just leave it with patience and move on? Well, the second one's even more important, and it's the okay. that that creative is, is an exponential benefit. Um, we came up with a couple years ago at Abacus, the bed mass, remember that from school, the order of operations of Facebook advertising and, and creative was on the top. But then about a year later with all that experience, I was like, holy shit, do you know what? It's not just at the top, but it might be an exponent above number two. And as a result, like when we do creative with aftershocks, like the results were crazy, like tripling, um, ROAS right off the bat saving back half the production money so we can actually learn something and then go back and, and fix up everything that we did, which got us another turn of ROAS. Um, if I'm reading these numbers correctly, uh, for the last month or so, we're operating around eight, which is incredible. Um, so creative is advertising is marketing. There isn't enough button turning and lookaliking that you can do in the background to make up for it. Because the fact of the matter is the more you turn the buttons, the more your CPM goes up. And whatever you're doing as a result needs to increase at a better rate than your CPM is going up. You see all these like crazy lookalikes and exclusions and the people are at like $30, $40 CPMs and their conversion rates would have to increase like tenfold to make up just for the CPM increase. Mm -hmm. So that's a nerdy way of saying people aren't paying enough attention to creative than they should. Right. And then just to, just to uh, reiterate, you'd, you'd mentioned what it stands for earlier, but ROAS, uh, return on ad spend, um, and, and just being able to use the creativity of, especially with something like Aftershocks to where, where there's a, a, a little bit of something that that's unique that you need to communicate to people. And if, if you communicate it in a creative way, it can make a huge difference in, in people getting it quickly and, and responding to it. So that, that makes a ton of yeah, sense. Yeah, there's, so. there's a new thought going around that, per, that performance marketing has taken creative too far away. And now we need to find the balance. And when we started Abacus and started thinking about it around 2015, I imagined 2020, which is crazy. We're pretty close, um, where there wasn't going to be performance and brand. There wasn't going to be non-measurable and measurable. And that all these things would have to be like rowing in the same direction on the same boat. And I think we're seeing that now with a lot of companies struggling with how do we link the brand with the performance and why is performance testing everything 200,000 times and brand is going, wee with a whole bunch of money. Like they're both right, but we have to bring it together. And that's what I think the next five years are going to be really challenging. Yeah, I've definitely had the conversation where um, someone talks about, we just need a super analytical person. It's like, you can't analyze your way into success. You need to have both creativity and analysis to find your way to a, to a much better way of doing things. And so- um, Plus I, I the future like of Facebook is probably hands-off. Like the algorithm is so much smarter than anyone who's telling it what or what not to do mm -hmm. that really to some degree, it's like, Put a lot of money through, yeah, and stop telling it what to target. Yeah, but it's it's not going to come up with that creativity for you. So just then feeding that engine with with different types. But of on creative. the targeting side, it's got millions of data points where the advertisers yep. have you know dozens. Yeah, yeah. So like telling it what age you think it is because that was written up on a board is the wrong thing to do. You have to trust it exactly and just put a whole lot of data through it. That makes a lot of sense. So Ariel, what about you? Is there is there something you feel like you understand? today so much better than just a couple of years ago in terms of growth? I think growth is this balance of pushing forward and being courageous enough to keep going and keep trying new things and keep pushing the envelope, but also being flexible at the same time. So understanding when things aren't working and you need to move um, 
in a different direction or try something new or take a step back um, and reassess the situation. So it's, you know, pushing forward and staying steady, but not letting that debilitate yourself either. Right. Um, Having the ability to course correct along the way. Exactly. And there's a lot of course correcting (laughs) with the growth, I'm sure. Definitely. I'm sure we can all agree with that. Definitely. Well, I appreciate so much you guys uh, sharing the the growth story of Aftershocks and what you're doing. Um, I, just a couple of things as as takeaways that I'm getting through this conversation is, um, you know, with with a physical good, good in particular, um, I think experience is not probably just something for you guys, but it's it's something for um, probably most physical goods. Is that to to really get it, you need to to experience it on some level. So. Uh, Jeff, as you talked about, video is probably the best way to kind of demonstrate that experience without actually experience it, experiencing it. So being able to to really leverage video a lot on the creative side, and then um, the grassroots and the events, and and you know that that Ariel um, have, has talked about that uh, you know that that ultimately. I, I know from my own um, my own path with aftershocks is that it. I was intrigued when I read about it, but once I experienced it, then I started showing my family and everyone wanted to try it. And, it, and it, it, it's a very discussion worthy product. So um, it, it makes sense that experience would be important there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, people don't even really understand how the noise is getting where it's going. So it's got like a physical, um, it's got, it's, it's almost like a conversation piece or a show piece right off the bat. But what they've done so good is they've made it look as good as other or better than other headphones so it's kind of like nerdy technology meets something that you're not like um ashamed to be seen in public with but you're right i mean it's got it's got sort of what did you call it engineering is marketing it's sort of got like the talking and the marketing built into the product because people are like yo how are you hearing anything <laughs> absolutely so well that's awesome i'm i'm uh excited to see where you guys continue to take aftershocks and i know i will be enjoying mine for the <laughs> for the foreseeable future and uh, until the next great technology comes along, probably from you guys. <laughs> so uh, thanks again for the time and to everyone listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much, Sean. Yeah. Thanks for having us. It was great. Thanks for listening to the breakout growth podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe. So you never miss a show. Until next week.